أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن شاء الله today we're covering سورة المسد سورة number 111 of the مصحف and uh, just again to recap on how the conversation is flowing now in the مصحف so what we saw was the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam was Ya Allah make this city a city of peace and prosperity for those who believe. Allah gave them peace through Surat Al-Fil. And then Surat Quraysh was the prosperity part of it. The question then was, will they believe? Will Quraysh believe? Did they believe? No. What did they do? Disbelieved. That was the consequence or that was the result of their decision. They decided to disbelieve, decided to not give يمنعون الماعون even. And so then, on the contrast, Allah said, إِنَّا أَطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرِ Ya Rasulullah, don't worry about them. This is your mission now. You are going to continue the legacy of the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, You're going to purify this house. And uh, this is going to be your mission going forward. Don't worry about them calling you abtar. They will be abtar. Allah will discontinue them. And then comes, which surah? Which, which surah came after that? Allah literally tells us how they're discontinued. Ya Rasulullah, you walk up to them and tell them in their face that they are, you know, on, on the other side of the, the battle now. There's a con- com- complete confrontation between truth and falsehood. And, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ خلاص, There's no more compromise. I'm renouncing my citizenship. I'm leaving this place. And the war of words is over. Now it's going to be a war of swords, literally. So... Then after Surat Al-Kafirun, what happened was now we're at the point where the Prophet ﷺ needs comfort, right? Because there's battle, there's confrontation. So what's the comfort? إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ Ya Rasulullah, don't worry about it. We'll give you good news. Nasr of Allah is coming. It's going to come. And you'll see it with your own eyes. وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينَ You'll see it with your own eyes. And interesting, this surah is... It was revealed in a later part of Medina, by the way. Remember, because it was hinting to the, to the uh, you know, death of the Prophet and So that was something that came at the end of the seerah. Now we're looking at another good news that came at the beginning of the seerah, which is Tabbat Yada Abi Lahabi Watab, Surah Al-Masad. That, Ya Rasulullah, we'll show you an example of your victory in, in, in dunya through Nasr and in Akhirah through through the example of your uncle, your own uncle, Abu Lahab. So you see the contrast here? Surah Al-Nasr was revealed in the latter part of Sirah, talking about victory in dunya, that the Prophet will see with his own eyes. Surah Al-Masad was revealed in the early part of Sirah, some say in the fourth to sixth year of, uh, you know, Bi'tha, of the Prophet's prophethood, telling the Prophet about his victory in Akhirah. On how, you know, because obviously Abu Lahab entering the hellfire is something that's going to happen in dunya or akhirah? Akhirah. So there's a contrast here. And it's a very unique surah in the sense that it's talking about a specific enemy, which has never happened anywhere else in the Quran. Literally, Abu Lahab's name is mentioned by name in the Quran. You know? And the surah is dedicated to this man. How messed up he must be, him and his wife. SubhanAllah. You know? So it's a very unique uh, surah and uh, you know, the idea that it is talking about this, uh, this couple, you know, together, ma- man and his wife together. So, th- you know, usually we, s- we hear stories of, you know, either the man is good and the wife is bad. What's an example of that? The husband is good, wife is bad. Nuh salam and Lut salam, right? Both of them, they were good husbands with bad wives. On the other side, you have... Great wives with bad husbands, like Asiya, the wife of Pharaoh. The other situation here is good wives and good guardians. In the case of Maryam, you know, good wife, good guardian, because obviously husband is also the guardian. But here we're looking at the fourth and worst kind where there's a bad wife and bad guardian or bad husband. The worst of the worst, Abu Lahab and his wife. So... What's really the background of, uh, we need to understand the personality of Abu Lahab and his wife, right? So Abu Lahab came from a very wealthy family. He was loaded with money. 
At the same time, he was called Abu Lahab because of his complexion of his, of his uh, skin. It was reddish. So he, they say he was extremely good looking. Very, very good looking, very handsome. So Abu Lahab was something that they used as a praise. In the surah, ironically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the same term to be the cause of his destruction. You, you are known to be beautiful in this dunya because of your reddish, flamey color. We'll use that same punishment to, to make you burn in the same fire. The same lahab, which literally means a flame of fire, a flickering red flame, which would be the cause of his destruction. And, um, you know, there's some riwayat that he was the, the treasurer of Quraysh. So he used to handle all the money. So he had a very high position in the government also. And um, very strong lineage in Banu Hashim, you know, being from Banu Hashim, being from the elite family. He's obviously the, the uncle of the Prophet okay? He's the neighbor of the Prophet literally, they shared a wall. And we know from Surah Al-Kawthar how he insulted the Prophet after his son Qasim died. And he said, Batara Muhammad, and he's, you know, shouted out loud and hurt his feelings. Although he's his uncle and family, but you know. And uh, we also know that Abu Lahab's two daughters were married to Rasulullah's two, or two sons were married to Rasulullah's two daughters, Ruqayya and Umm Kulthum. So there's a rishta also, like literally, he, Abu Lahab is the father-in-law of Rasulullah's two daughters, Ruqayya and Umm Kulthum. And so, you know, he is like the worst example of a disbeliever, worst example of someone who, you know, maintains family ties, worst example of a neighbor, and in all fields he's, he's failing, and he's like the ideal enemy. And of course, the, the arrogance part, because money will be highlighted here. You know, the idea of corruption, not helping the poor is highlighted here. Why? Because he's the treasurer. He's the guy who's not, who's not you know, giving out to the poor. He's not distributing wealth equally. He's not encouraging, you know, uh, giving to the poor and to the yatim. So, and he, he's messed up on all fronts. So there, it's not a coincidence that yani, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose this enemy specifically for the surah. He, he actually... Scored very high on the you know kufr side of everything, yani. so he you know he deserves it. And um, about his wife, so his wife's name is Arwa, and she is the sister of Abu Sufyan, who is technically a Sahabi of the Prophet So the sister of a Sahabi is mentioned in the Quran as to, to be one of those who will be him and his wife. They will enter the hellfire. A sister of a Sahabi. Just try to imagine that. Yeah. And they say she, she was also extremely beautiful. She, her nickname was Umm Jamil. Uh, very wealthy. She came from the Banu Umayya family lineage, which also they had like this very elite status in society from a very wealthy tribe. So we're looking at a, a, you know, a celebrity couple. Because what makes a celebrity famous? What makes celebrities celebrities? And what makes them popular? It's two things, right? It's looks and money. And in this case, there's power also. So they have looks, money, and power. You know, because celebrities usually, they just have looks and money, and they're talented either in singing or, or you know, acting or whatever, or, you know, sports. But in this case, we're looking at political celebrities. Because they had money, power, looks, everything. Yani, subhanAllah. Looks, power, and money. All three. So this is like that class A celebrity that people read about in magazines and follow their news and, you know. And, you know, what's really interesting is that this is a short surah and you know, most children memorize this from a young age. So subhanAllah, yani, two things here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants children as, from a young age to know these people's stories. To know that, you know, don't be deceived by celebrities and you know system b remember i say system b system b entertainment will praise and it will encourage and it will you know make these characters famous in society whereas allah in a way by positioning in, in this part of the quran he's, he's telling us listen the children need to know from a young age don't be deceived by looks and money it means nothing you know and so this is something that we need to keep in mind for our children, for ourselves, in terms of you know, following the celebrities and all this. Because we're living in that age, the age of celebrity, the age of looking up to people who are talented, uh, you know, being uh, impressed with looks and money and all these things. The other thing here is, 
يعني سبحان الله look at the يعني humiliation that Abu Lahab and his wife are getting is that children from a young age are cursing them literally تبت 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 which literally means cursed يعني so you have children sitting in tahfid circles saying تبت يدا أبي لهب وتب and يعني Allah has made this curse on the tongues of even young children يعني from young age they're just continuing to, to repeat this curse over and over again so what was uh, the wife of Lahab famous for she was obviously rich um, like I told you she uh, in one incident she's known to have this necklace which was very expensive and she looks at the necklace and, and basically grabs it and says I, I wish I could spend this necklace this expensive necklace and spend every single penny of it in destroying the Prophet's mission so she used the necklace and which will be referred to in the surah later on it's referring to that necklace. Another um, important incident that happened in Sira was that she used to um, throw thorns in the way of the Prophet ﷺ just to hurt him physically. Because see, she had this enmity toward the Prophet ﷺ. In one narration, she actually approached Rasulullah ﷺ after this surah was revealed. She was frustrated, you know. And so she approached the Prophet ﷺ with rocks in her hand, literally wanting to throw rocks on his face. And so she approaches his house. Um, and who's sitting there? Abu Bakr Siddiq is sitting with the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blinds Um Jamil from seeing the Prophet So all she sees is who? Abu Bakr Siddiq. And she asks him, where is, where is Rasulullah? And she says, I, if he was here, I would have thrown this rock in his face. So after she leaves, Abu Bakr asks the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, you're just here, she's looking for you. So Rasulullah tells Abu Bakr Siddiq that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blinded her from seeing him. So this is one of like those many miracles that uh, happened to the Prophet Also she's known to, you know, uh, the one that carries, literally, the one who carries wood. Um, you know, one of the things she was known for was Namima. She used to be someone who would spread Namima. What is Namima? Namima is when you spread uh, news among the society to create hatred among others and so it's like these logs that are what are logs used for for making fire right so uh, there's like a s- metaphor here of spreading enmity and hatred in, p- in the society so she literally w- would carry those logs and she would burn them and you know make people hate each other in society so this was something that she loved doing and um you know, so she, she also was very known to be proud of her status. She had this ego issue. So obviously both have an ego issue, right? Money, looks, and power. So ego is there. It comes as part of the package. And so um, part of the reason they rejected the message of the Prophet ﷺ was the fact that they didn't want to be equal to the slave girls. And slave girls were known to be people who carry logs also. You know, they were the one who did the donkey work or the dirty work. And so here, Allah associated that same term that's used for slave girls with her. And his wife, the, the one who carries these logs. So literally, yani, subhanAllah, humiliation, humiliation in, the, in the surah itself. And she used to be also um, known for calling the Prophet ﷺ Mudhammam. Instead of Muhammad, she used to call him Mudhammam, which is obviously like a very disrespectful uh, uh, in the way of addressing the Prophet So, uh, class A celebrity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided to choose to end literally the Quran is ending with such a, such a story here to, to give the Prophet good news of um, Abu Lahab and his wife's destruction because they, they caused a lot of, uh, you know, uh, they hurt the Prophet a lot in his seerah. And, you know, here also there was a miracle that happened because this Surah was revealed in early Meccan period. And so Abu Lahab and his wife literally had about 20 years, you know, 18, 20 years to accept Islam and prove the Quran wrong. But does that happen? It doesn't happen. They, they don't accept Islam. So this, in a way, is an open challenge for Abu Lahab and his wife to accept Islam. And it's an open challenge for the disbelievers. Listen, the Quran has given a... It is literally... Stated that Abu Lahab and his wife are going to be destructive in hell, they're going to die in kufr. And they literally have 18 to 20 years to prove the Quran wrong, but of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that they will not do it. You know? 
so it's, it's a miracle in the sense that yani, they didn't uh, prove the Quran wrong. They, they died literally on kufr. How did they die? Abu Lahab actually uh, was a coward. He never participated in Badr. He stayed back. So seven days li later, literally, he got inflicted with this disease. And, um, you know, they say that, you know, he had like, these really uh, weird infections on his skin and his body. People started, like, literally, yani, all that beauty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests him with skin disease. It gets so disgusting and so, yani, people get so disgusted from him, they, they don't want to go near him. And so, you know, uh, he dies a literally a painful, slow death, which is part of what tabbat means. Tab means slow destruction. And so he died a very slow, painful death. And also emotionally, right? It's emotional torture when no one wants to touch you. You know, when you're suffering, you need care, you need love. Even his wife, nobody was literally there to touch him and to take care of him. They said they didn't even like, go near his body when he died. And to the extent that no one wanted to carry the body and, and you know, bury him in the grave. So they literally hired Abyssinians from outside the city to come in. They picked him up with logs. Even the Abyssinians didn't touch him. So they picked him up with logs and stuff and they threw him in some ditch and covered it with, uh, with stones and logs. And that was his end, literally. So yeah, he, fl he fled away from Badr, but this was his end. And they say about his wife... Uh, yeah, and they say that she died from choking. Literally, she got choked by an angel from behind with her, with her necklace. She was sitting on some rock and she literally died of choking. Yani. That same necklace that she, she wished would be the cause of destruction of the process. And the same neck she used to carry you know, the thorns. Uh, subhanAllah. Yani, you know, so that was her end. So both of them in this life get dis de destroyed yani, in this way. So, um, another interesting part of Sira is that Umm Jamil and uh, his wife uh, or her husband Abu Lahab, when the Prophet becomes a prophet, obviously he, his two daughters are married to their two sons, Utbah and Utaybah. So they get both sons divorced from their uh, wives. And so one of them, Utaybah, actually goes to the Prophet and uh, spits in his face. Literally, and, and says, I divorce your, your daughter. So imagine, just try to put yourself in that situation. You're a prophet, and this is, you know, family, they're literally given to your uncle. Like, you know how it is, especially in, in Desi culture, getting, like, divorce in a family marriage is a big thing. That means, خلاص, like, the family is not going to talk to each other. Anymore. It's going to be very complicated. It's easy to get divorced to a strange family or outside family. But this is close families, uncle's daughter. And divorce happens. And disrespect. I mean, this kid, Taiba, you know, literally spat at the Prophet ﷺ, disrespected him. And so Rasulullah is very hurt. His, his daughter, his beloved daughter is divorced. Yani. At the same time, disrespected. So he makes a dua that, Ya Allah, send one of your dogs to take care of this guy, literally. And so uh, Abu Lahab finds out about this dua and he freaks out, which is also a sign that they actually believed. Yani. Deep down inside, they, they knew he was a prophet, but it was just an ego issue and pride issue. So what he does is he actually calls on for security. He tells the people, Quraysh, listen, we're going out to Sham for a business trip. We need top security in the camp to make sure that my son is safe because this, this guy, Muhammad, we say, he doesn't say, but he uh, has made a dua and I'm scared. So they put top security and everything, but then at night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does send uh, a beast that basically devours Utaybah uh, and uh, you know, takes care of him, subhanAllah. So his, this dua does uh, get accepted. So what are other stories of Abu Lahab? These are all background stories for you to understand, very important, okay? So when the Prophet uh, was, it was revealed to him, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ You know, because in the first part of Sirah, there was secret da'wah happening. The Prophet was very, being very strategic in who is answering, who is he inviting to Islam. And then at one point, Allah said, you know, after second, third year of Prophet Khas, now it's time for you to go public. Go public. Warn people in public. 
And so it needed a lot of courage. And so the Prophet had three incidences where he tried to do this. One was like a private dinner that he invited people to. But people didn't really pay attention much. They were more into the food. You know, they were having a good time eating and stuff. So, you know, he, and sometimes, subhanAllah, this happens. You know, you, you invite your friends over thinking that you'll you slip in some da'wah here and there. But, you know, they're just busy, busy playing PlayStation and joking around and talking about cricket and tennis or whatever. And so you don't get a chance. And you're like, inshallah, next time. So next time, Ali ibn Abi Talib is, uh, you know, he arranges something, another private dinner. And, and there he does stand up and, and uh, you know, clearly says that, listen, I'm a prophet, I'm here to warn you of you know, the hellfire and accountability and all these things. And so Abu Lahab stands up and says, literally, what's in it for me? And if I come to this deen, what's in it for me? You know, because he's thinking about benefit, which is something that we need to understand. That yani, we shouldn't look at Islam as, as something that uh, gives us benefit. You know, it's not like you're going shopping or something, you know, like you're buying a car or you seek benefit in Islam. Um, you accept Islam because Allah wants you to be his slave and you know, Allah deserves to be worshipped this is your role, you, this is your purpose in life you were created for this purpose so you fulfill this purpose yes, Islam does come with benefits of course, no doubt about it comes with plenty of benefits in dunya and akhirah but that's not the sole primary purpose of entering into Islam you don't enter Islam seeking okay, what kind of benefits will I get you know, should I fast because it's going to help me lose weight you know should I pray because it's going to help me with my focus? And this, and it, should I not drink alcohol because it's harmful for my body? You know, a lot of people nowadays, even Muslims, they do this. They justify doing halal things because it's beneficial rather than because Allah said so. You know, you don't say, I don't drink alcohol because it's bad for my health. We don't, we're not supposed to drink alcohol. Why? Number one, because Allah said so. Number two, yes, it's bad for your health. We don't eat pork because... Not because it's bad for our health. Number one, because Allah said so. Number two, because it's, you know, of course it has harms and Allah knows that. That's why he prohibited it. So he was looking for benefits and obviously he found out there's no benefits. So he says, Tabban laka. Literally, you may, if, you know, may you be cursed. Alihada jama'atana, you, you gathered us here for this. So this was another you know, attempt at, uh, or encounter between the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Lahab. The third encounter happened when the Prophet ﷺ used a very you know, uh, well-known strategy to grab attention, which was basically to go up on the mountain. And, in the, and back in the days, they used, they used to literally remove their clothes. And you would shout, Wa sabaha! You would shout early in the morning. You would shout, Wa sabaha! Early in the morning. Uh, to grab attention and people would come out of their houses and, and this would be an emergency uh, you know, state basically. No one would do that unless it's an emergency. And so the Prophet does this but of course he maintains his decency. He doesn't of course remove his uh, clothes. So he goes there on the mountain and says the same words. Wa sabaha. And people come out freaking out like What's, what happened? What happened? And he said, if I, you know me, I'm Sadiq al-Amin. If, if I told you there was an enemy about to approach you behind the, this mountain. Would you believe me? And what do they say? Yes, of course. And so he says, fine then. If you believe me, then listen to this. I'm here to warn you of the day of judgment. You will be raised from your dead. You will be held accountable. And, you know. and so Abu Lahab again stands up and says, Tabban laka alihada jama'atana. So how many times did he say Tabban laka? Twice. And interesting in the surah, Tabbat yada Abi Lahabim wa tab. Two tabs for the two incidences that happened in the past. And um, also what we uh, learned, a very like, small tangent here, is that the Prophet used a, a mass communication strategy. The strategy was go up on the mountain. This was the norm in society. So he used it. He didn't say, no, this is the way of the kuffar. I won't use it. No, he said, I'll use it. But he removed what? The indecent part of it. The, the part of taking off your clothes, uh, he didn't use it. So in our sense, like, you know, we have WhatsApp broadcast. You use it. If it's effective, use it. If it's, if it, uh, it's working and you can get your message across, use it. So Prophet used this communication method by removing the harm in it. And so, um, how do the people respond? How does Abu Lahab respond? By mocking, by joking, by cursing. You know, they don't take this... Uh, seriously at all and um, 
you know, we also learned from Al-Kawthar, which is very interesting why there's two tabs in this surah, two curses. The first one was Batara Muhammad, right? In Surah Al-Kawthar, we learned that when, he, when his son passed away, what did he say? May, you know, Muhammad has been discontinued. He has been cut off. There's no sons gonna, who are going to take you know, uh, his name or continue his legacy after him. So that was the fir- first tab for that, that incident of Al-Kawthar. And this is the second incident where he cursed Rasulullah. Um, and, you know, the insult here you have to understand is that in the first incident in Surah Al-Kawthar, when he, you know, Abu Lahab said, Better Muhammad, who was this curse for? Addressed to who? To Rasulullah, right? But in, in this incident where, where the Prophet is now addressing them in public, who is being insulted? This deen, right? Allah, because the Prophet now is speaking on behalf of this deen, and he's promoting this deen. So, Abu Lahab, in the first part, disrespected the Prophet insulted the Prophet In the second part, he rejected and disrespected this deen. And so, the two tabs, one for cursing this deen, one for cursing the Prophet's character. Okay, so this is like another view of why there's two tabs mentioned in the surah. And you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tabbat yada abi lahabi wa tab. May the hands of Abu Lahab be cursed. Uh, so why hands? Why, why may, may Abu Lahab be cursed? Because, you know, there's different opinions here. One is that, you know, Abu Lahab actually tried with his own hands to throw a rock at the Prophet And so Allah uh, used those same hands to uh, curse him with. May these two hands be, dest- you know, destroyed or cursed. Another uh, thing that used to happen in Sira was Abu, uh, Abu Lahab would, would go out in, in the markets and he would look at his hands and he would say, these are the hands that were cursed, these are the hands that were cursed. He would be sarcastic and he would joke around. That the Quran says these hands were cursed, look at these hands, there's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, look at my hands. He would show people, these are the two hands that, you know, your Rasul says are cursed. They're fine, nothing happened to them, you know. So he used to use these as... Uh, uh, you know, a mocking and a, and a joking fashion. Yeah. The, you know, another view why hands are used is because you know hands are used, especially the right hand for offense, left hand for defense. So you know, in a way, Allah is telling him, "Listen, you are defeated in the offense. You have, you're going to be destroyed in any attacks you do against the Prophet, and even in the hellfire, whatever defense you use will be of no benefit to you." You have no attack, you have no defense. You're destroyed. You're, it's over for you. Just a side note about the Arabic language. Whenever it comes to body parts, when you have two body parts, like when you have pairs, like hands or pairs, then the feminine is used. Like eyes is a pair. So these are used the feminine. Hadihi aynan. Hadihi aynan. Hadihi udunan. The feminine. Okay. Hadihi yadan. Hadihi rujlan. But when you have a nose, hadha anf. It's a, it's, a fem, it's a masculine. It's a dhakr. Hada anf. Hada fem. Okay? Hada ra's. Because it's one. It's just something for you to keep in mind that whenever body parts come in the, in the Arabic language, feminine use, is used for pairs and masculine is used for what? Single, single body parts. And tabbat is the past tense, which means what? Dandil. Tabbat, it's, it's, it's over. Although the surah was revealed before he got destroyed. But the past tense uh, hints to the fact that it's guaranteed, stamped, khalas. So imagine how they felt. Imagine how Abu Lahab and his wife felt with, with the surah coming and being revealed and being recited. Big insult for them, right? And big humiliation. And, and this really bothered them. And they used to, you know, the enmity grew even further. SubhanAllah, this surah should have like scared them. But that's what happens when you have ego and arrogance. Sometimes, you know... The Quran is supposed to soften your heart for them. No, it hardened them even more and more and more because of the corruption deep down inside. So may his two hands be, be uh, destroyed. Abu Lahab. And Abu Lahab, his, his real name was Abdul Uzza, actually. Literally, the slave of Al Uzza, which was one of the false gods of the, the uh, Quraysh. Al Uzza. You know, it's mentioned in the Quran. And so. Um, Allah, like I told you, he used his nickname in a sarcastic way in the surah to say, listen, the same nickname that you use, that's used for you because you are good looking 
is going to be used for your cause of destruction. مَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُ مَالُهُ وَمَا كَسَبُ That his money, his wealth, and مَا كَسَبُ here also means what he gained, whatever you know, he did, his deeds, or in some riwayat this means uh, his children. This was of no benefit to him. His money and his whatever he has earned will be of no benefit to him. His wealth, you know, all his assets were of no benefit. This money, this, this power that came with the money, his status, this concept of shafa'a, you know, by associating partners who will save you, who you can bribe to save your way out of hellfire, to you know, save your destruction, it's going to be of no benefit to you. Ma agna. And ma here means literally not at all. In the present and in the future. It's going to be of no benefit to you. This money. And you know, this is again repeating the same lessons that have come in the past, right? Uh, the idea of wealth, uh, not being even in itself, but wealth when you become obsessed with wealth and you become someone who is so arrogant and so selfish that you don't want to give. Allah is saying, for him, this money will be of no benefit to him. So wealth is being mentioned again here for the last time in the Mus'haf as something that becomes the cause of your destruction. And living in our material world, you know, nowadays, uh, where everything is about money, 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 this is something serious to think about, right? So many people fall in this trap. They spend their whole life just running after money, 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 selfish things, me, 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 myself, I, 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 what I, uh, what's in it for me, what can I get, I want to buy, I want to buy. Remember Al-Hakam al-Takathar, you just want to accumulate, 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 accumulate. And what did you give? Not much, nothing, you know. And so here Allah is saying, ما أغنى عنه ماله وما كسب. He did istighna. You know, he felt that he was independent. He didn't need this message. He didn't need the Prophet. Even his daughters, خلاص, no need to give my daughters to this. And interestingly, Uthman marries both those daughters. Right? That's why it's called Dun Nurain. Same two daughters, Ruqayya and Um Kirtum. So ma agna also the, the top the talk is in in uh, third person distancing Allah is distancing himself from Abu Lahab and uh, you know this whole pride of looks and subhanallah we're living in those times now people get proud of their looks and their money I mean look at Facebook look at all the selfies you know bad looking people don't really take selfies yani. people take selfies when they want to show their looks and you know for even females right. They put the makeup on and, you know, all that stuff. And, and so it's all about being proud of your looks and your money, taking selfies. Where am I having dinner? Where am I having lunch? Which, which shopping? What am I doing my shopping? You know, so it's all about showing off. Where am I traveling? What am I doing? You know, showing people your looks and your money. Looks, money, looks, money. Here, Allah is saying both of these are the cause of uh, Abu Lahab and his wife's destruction. The same thing that people are running after. Came, became a cause of destruction. So you see how the surah is real and relative to our times? And it's not just a surah about their destruction. Allah is teaching us a very, very big lesson here. That beware of materialism. Beware of this whole concept of you know, celebrity status and just following that. You know, al-asr, right? People were dreaming of... Remember, so al-asr, people were dreaming of that false illusion, that false dunya lifestyle. You know, the system B lifestyle where it's all about, you know, me and looks and money and you know, where spirituality, it's not there. And, you know, I forgot to mention this yesterday in Surah Al-Kafirun, but just to wrap up this whole fitna of Dajjal. Dajjal we're known, is known to, for his right, basically, eye to be, uh, you know, yeah, there's a defect in his right eye. And so the left eye resembles materialism, things that you can see, things that you can touch, things that you can buy, which is like you know, representing everything in, in the scene, physical, materialistic world. So in a sense, Dajjal doesn't want you to look at spirituality. He doesn't want you to think about anything that's unseen, anything that cannot be touched. So concept of God, let's shelf it. Let's start, put it on the side. Concept of Akhirah, please let's talk, not talk about it. Concept of death, let's not talk about it. Concept of Ruh, which is such an important part of our body. Allah said, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ he made us in the best of creation. Why? Because of this ruh. In the, the jali system, in the material system, all these unseen things don't matter. Let's focus on the seen, 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 seen. And so for the believer, Allah has given us two eyes. 
The believer sees with two eyes. The, the eye of spirituality and the eye of, you know, material world. Because this is the dunya we have to live in. This is the dunya where you have to plant your seed. Another, you know, problem is that people, they only look at the dunya with the dunya eye or the deen eye or spiritual eye. And they, what do they do with the material eye? They close it completely. And they, they think that Islam is about secluding yourself from society. It's about, you know, reading Quran and praying and fasting and, and that's it. And, you know, leave dunya. Dunya is evil. That's another extreme. So the balanced approach of the Quran is, no, you see the world with both eyes. The spiritual eye and the worldly seen eye also because we need to live in this dunya. And this is the real challenge. And the Prophet you know, we learn from his seerah that he had to proclaim this message in society. He didn't call on the Sahaba, let's go have our meeting in Ghar Hira every day. Yani. No, they used to meet in Mecca and they used to like you know he used to pray in front of the Kaaba in front of the Quraysh and he used to get humiliated you know in public and this is this is the message so you know practicing deen and seclusion in the masjid or doing atikaf and just staying in the mountains like some monks do you know staying away from society that is that's easy and you're taking the easy way out no you want to really apply this, the way and the methodology of process and try to be a good believer struggle in society, in this corrupt society, and be a cause of goodness in this corruption, rather than you know moving away from it and hiding. You know, so Islam is a religion where you are you become, inshallah, the the source of light for the darkness in society. Okay, just uh, something from uh, last time. So, sayyasla um, naran. That Lahab, he will enter a fire that will be of a flame. Allah uses Abu Lahab, that Lahab. So Allah is saying that fire that he will enter into eventually, or very soon. Sa here means very soon, which is a threat, right, for Abu Lahab. Very soon you're going to be entering a fire, and he says he will enter the fire that will be that Lahab, a fire of blazing flame. The same nickname that's used for him as Abu Lahab. And here. The wa and his wife, which, which means what? In, the, in, in what's happening in the Arabic language now is Abu Lahab will enter the fire as well as his wife. Okay, so both will be entering the hellfire. Wa imra'atuhu also will be entering the hellfire. And who is she? Hamalat al Hattab. She's the one that's carrying the wood, like I told you. Um, one side note here that's very, you know, very beautiful uh, detail about the precision of choice of words. There's literally two ways Allah uses wife, two words for wife in the Arabic language, in the Quran. Imra'a and zawja. Okay? Imra'a and zawj or zawja. Whenever imra'a use, is used, you should know that one of two things is missing. Because, you know, the concept of marriage is about, uh, you know, uh, having children, being able, to, being able to have children, and the other part is um, being a cause or source of good in society. So whenever a couple in the Qur'an ha don't have children, imra is used. Or whenever they have children, but like in this case, they have children, but they were not a source of good. So imra is used. But whenever both husband and wife, they have children and they're a source of good, then zawj is used. Okay? Zawj is used. And um, so like, uh, to give you an example of that is... Uh, Zakaria, when he basically does not have a child, right? Imra is used. But the, the moment he has a child, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls his wife what? Zawja. And you can refer back to this in Surah Maryam. So the, just the way Allah uses different words. In the translation, what will you see for Imra, wife? What will you see for Zawj, wife? You miss out on this beauty, you know? So just some uh, slight thing about this word Imra. Both they will be uh, Just like they used to do You know Like in wrestling You have tag team They were doing tag team In, in dunya Against the Prophet In akhirah They will be tag teaming In hellfire together Also You know Both Wife and husband Subhanallah um, I, I read somewhere that Two of the sons They had three sons Two of them Accept Islam So one was uh, Devoured by the, the beast Line, but the other two in the latter part accept Islam. I think it was Mut'ab and Utbah, I think. 
they end up accepting Islam. So, um, and subhanAllah, evil parents, but children accept Islam. Here also something to think about in terms of, um, you know, families and wanting good for your families and wanting your, you know, all of us have that uncle or that cousin who's away from Islam, right? And we always, you know, we, we remember him in our du'as and we try to like give him some, you know, creative da'wah techniques and stuff and, you know, the uncle that doesn't pray or the uncle that, you know, drinks or the uncle that's, you know, doesn't give charity, the uncle that's rude always. We all have that and some of you are finding. So, and a part of the believers, uh, you know, wish is always that those people I love, I want them to accept Islam. These are close to me. And you try, you try, you try. You invite them to halaqat, you send them YouTube videos, you, you know, share some <laughs> messages with them, but nothing is working. And so Allah says in the Quran to the Prophet Prophet, that you can't guide who you love. You can't choose who you want to be guided. Guidance comes from who? From Allah. Guidance comes from Allah, so... You need to, that doesn't mean you stop asking Allah. Of course, you keep asking Allah and you keep trying yourself. But at the end of the day, Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet one of the, his favorite uncles, the biggest supporter of the Prophet uh, he wasn't able to accept Islam. The Prophet would beg him, please, uncle, please, on his deathbed, please, just say, la ilaha illallah, just accept it. But it didn't work out, you know. So just something about um, this idea of Wanting your family members to accept Islam is not a, some, yani, we all want it, but reality is we have example from the Quran. You have wives that are, uh, you know, evil, like I told you, the wives of Nuh and Lut, And, you know, some, like some people, uh, we ask Allah to protect us from this, but some people are tested with this in dunya. You know, you have a righteous, or, or you know, a man who, Halfway through his marriage, he, you know, he's far away from deen, but then halfway through his marriage, he becomes close to deen and close to Allah and starts praying five times a day and Quran. But what about his wife? His wife is still in system B. You know, she wants to go that way. Now the vision is completely different. Now the husband, you know, realizes that there's Jannah, accountability, and akhirah and all this. So he gets his act together. He starts getting on the Salat al-Mustaqim. But his wife is still on the other other track, right? Wrong track. So now the husband is in a dilemma. He's in a conflict. What do I do now? Like, and he tries to convince the wife. The wife says, sorry, I'm not interested in this. Yani. You want to go to the message? Go. Okay? Don't tell me to wear hijab. I'm going to go out in my miniskirt. Yani. We used to do this back, back in the days. You forgot? You forgot all the selfies we posted on Facebook with me and you on the beach and stuff. Right? And so these things become... Uh, a big test and a big, big, big trial for these husbands. And vice versa. You have women who are, mashallah, practicing, but their husbands are, you know, drinking and partying and all that and, you know, doing riba and all that kind of stuff. And so these are some of the biggest tests in our life, in our uh, communities nowadays. Some people are going through these tests. Uh, and this is part of, uh, you know, part of the test of uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just have to, you know, deal with it. And some people don't deal, can't deal with it much longer and, and it ends up in divorce or whatever. So, Hamalat uh, al-Hatab. Allah says that he, she, you know, this word Hamala means that literally it's a profession of carrying wood. So this, this is the profession that she will have. Just like she used to mock at the slave girls for being wood carriers, literally. She is going to be eventually carrying her own wood for her own destruction in the hellfire. Because, you know, hellfire will be fueled with wood also in the sense. This is like one of the metaphors of, of uh, this example. And then, And her neck is a rope that is made of, made of twisted fiber. So again, um, you know, different views on what this means. She used to be someone who was known for also making poetry against the Prophet Okay, uh, Very like ridiculing and, and uh, insulting poetry. But the Prophet ﷺ, you know, never insulted back at them. You know, this is another thing that we have to understand. It's a subtle lesson in this uh, surah that, um, you know, you will come across people in, in your life who will curse you, who will insult you, who will say nasty things to you. 
But do you respond with the same? No, you don't. You know, and the teaching of the Quran is to the Prophet ﷺ, and turn away from those who are ignorant. Turn away from those who, you know, don't realize who you are, don't respect you. And so here, you know, just like, you know, when a dog barks at you, if you bark back, that makes you what? <laughs> a dog also, yani. And so you don't, you don't wrestle like this. Another saying, you don't wrestle with a pig because you're going to get dirty also in the process, yani. You know, because pigs are usually where they're living in those mud uh, places, right? In the farms. And so if you decide to take on the pig, guess what? You're going to get really dirty in the process, yani. So might as well just stay away, yani. Don't, don't bother. So, just to classify Abu Lahab now, even in terms of like disbelievers, you have categories. So you have the really friendly disbelievers, like Abu Talib, right? Really nice guy, but disbeliever. You go slower, lower down the rank now, after friendly, you have noble kuffar, like Abu Jahl. You know, remember the Prophet ﷺ made dua that, may Allah guide one of the two Amars. He was Umar ibn Hisham, Umar ibn Khattab. So he had amazing potential, Abu Lahab, you know, but he decided to choose the wrong path. And so that's the second type of disbeliever. Then third type you have of, of people who basically hate the message itself. They don't hate the Prophet ﷺ. They're strategic disbelievers. You know, some of them are like Walid bin Mughira and, uh, you know, others like him who hated the message. But here, the worst of the worst is Abu Lahab. The, the one who hates the message and the, the messenger, وسلم. He had like this personal thing going on, you know. So he's the worst of the worst in terms of disbelievers, subhanAllah. Um, so, what we learned here also, like the connection between this surah and the previous surah. In the previous surah, we learned that what will benefit you in, uh, in your dunya? Tasbih, hamd, and istighfar. Get yourself busy with that. That's, gonna, that's what's going to benefit you uh, in this dunya. Whereas in this surah, what is Allah saying? Your money, your, your beauty, your, your power, your, your selfishness is, is going to be of no benefit to you. So there is a slight contrast between the two surahs. And... Um, um, another thing about Surah Al-Kafirun. In Surah Al-Kafirun, Allah the, subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us to, to distinguish between truth and falsehood, right? Lakum deenukum waliyadeen. You have your own way, I have my own way. So here we're learning about what the truth is and what's the falsehood. The truth was, What about the falsehood? Is this surah here, Surah Al-Masad. What's the eventual? You know, conclusion and destiny and fate of falsehood. As for truth, it'll be victorious. So you see how they're they're connected and and uh, and, and beautiful symmetry. So you know, with that we conclude this uh, beautiful surah, Surah Al-Masad. Let us remember from this surah to um, instill in our children, inshallah, for as a, at a young age. Because so many children know this surah by heart and they're reciting it, but they don't know these profound lessons. These are real lessons, you know. We need to tell them about who Abu Lahab was, who was Um Jamil, what were they like, and, you know, the fact that they were celebrities, but their money, their beauty, their power was of no benefit because they were corrupt in nature. They were arrogant. They were people who used their money for the wrong reasons. They were selfish. If these values get taught to our children at a young age, then wallahi, our next generations will be, will be set, inshallah, because we're programming them. See, Quran is all about programming us, you know. We, we have corrupt software in our systems. And what the Quran does is with time, the more connected you get with the Quran, the more you get formatted according to the Quran. And subhanAllah, this is one of the meanings of Rabb, actually. I forgot to mention this to you. One of the meanings of Rabb, in, in the classical Arabic senses, you know the, the guy who makes uh, pottery? So to make pottery, what do you have to do? You have to literally use your hands to shape the, the pot, right? This shaping process is literally what, the process of terbiyah, shaping. And so, you know, for a lot of parents, they think terbiyah is about feeding, changing diapers, giving showers, 
sending to school, dropping off to school, picking up. That's not terbiyah. That's, yani, terbiyah is literally shaping the character and personalities and attitude and the way of thinking of your children. And, and this applies to parents with children. This applies to us with the Qur'an. When we read the Qur'an, what does Allah do to our thinking? He shapes it in the right way, subhanAllah. What's a priority in the Qur'an becomes a priority in our life. What be, what's not a priority in our life becomes of a less priority. What's harmful for us, we realize it the more we connect with the Qur'an. What's beneficial for us, we, we acknowledge it. But what happens to the person who is disconnected from the Qur'an? Is this tarbiyah going according to the Qur'an or does he have his own shape? He has his own messed up shape, right? And that's why he's not functioning in society. He's not happy in his life. He's having problems with his family. He's having problems financially. He's suffering emotionally, you know, psychologically. He's messed up. Why? Because he's not following the tarbiyah of the Qur'an. So the Qur'an actually is, 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 a, is a means to program us to think in the right way, to have the right attitude. So it's, you know, for our own benefit, that's where the benefit comes then. We will benefit in dunya and akhirah when we, when we get the tarbiyah of the Qur'an and the tarbiyah of the Prophet ﷺ's seerah, you know, because he's the practical you know, implementation of the Qur'an itself. But when you're distanced from these, you, you, you come up with your own pro- programming, your own shaping of, of your world views and your you know, ideologies and principles, and guess what? You're flawed then. You won't function well in society. You will have problems. You will suffer. Because your creator knows the best f- form for you. And he's given you this Quran. He's given you this, the seed of the Prophet Salaam to follow the perfect uh, you know, uh, formula or the perfect programming. The perfect program, let's call it. Yeah. And so our entire life, what are we doing? We're just struggling to get into that shape, that that ideal shape of the Qur'an, that ideal programming of the Qur'an. Will we ever get there? No. No one can ever get, say, Alhamdulillah, I reached the ultimate shape of Qur'an programming. I'm set. I don't need the Qur'an anymore. No. Because what's shaitan coming and doing? He's messing up that shape. Yani. You, you, like in Ramadan, you shaped it really nicely. You tried to make it really perfect, your program with the Qur'an. What's shaitan doing on Eid? He's destroying that shape, so you're getting messed up. And then you need to do istighfar and tawbah and get it back in order. And then shaitan comes and pushes you from here. You know, so you're constantly reshaping. Constantly reshaping. But then again, what's, your, what's the rope that you need to hang on to to be able to realize you're out of shape? What's the thing that's going to make you aware that you're out of shape? Quran. That is, this is the savior in, in these tough times. Without the Qur'an, you're going to be out of shape. You won't even know that you're out of shape. Shaitan will deceive you into thinking that, Alhamdulillah, I'm fine. Yeah. But then you read Qur'an like, oh my God, I need to get back on track. So, Jazakumullah khairan, inshallah, uh, next surah will be Surah Al-Ikhlas, which is, uh, you know, going to be towards the end of this uh, the series, inshallah. So we look forward to, inshallah, continuing with Surah Al-Ikhlas. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك